Welcome to episode 246 of the Engineering Career Coach podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping engineers and technical professionals with both their personal and professional development. In this episode, I will be talking to Charles Muse, Program Engineering Manager at General Motors in Detroit, Michigan. We will be talking about his career, some of the major projects he's worked on, including his passion for people and the development of STEM. I'm your host, Jeff Perry, the new host of the Engineering Career Coach podcast. I'm a leadership and career coach that helps engineers and technical professionals realize their true potential. I love helping people make intentional career transitions and optimize their success. Often, we work on developing soft skills like leadership and mindset to unlock their hidden potential and remove self-imposed roadblocks. I founded More Than Engineering to bring together my love for engineering and technology with my passion for helping people improve and live more fulfilled lives. And I now run a program called the Engineering Career Accelerator. You can find more information at engineeringcareeraccelerator.com. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about our guest for today. Charles Muse joined General Motors, or GM, in 2011 as a university intern at the Milford Proving Grounds. At the time, he was the only African-American intern studying aeronautical and astronautical engineering, an uncommon discipline in the automotive field. Since joining GM, Charles has excelled in various assignments, each growing in scope and responsibility. He has held positions across multiple functions and commodities, including global noise and vibration, chassis, energy and aerodynamics, engineering operations, design and release engineering, as well as autonomous electrified vehicle engineering. Within this time, he was quickly recognized as a high potential and promoted to lead roles as a result of his virtuous leadership, ability to innovate, effective team building, drive for results, and track record of exceeding business standards. Muse holds the position of Assistant Program Engineering Manager within GM's Division of Autonomous Electrified Vehicles. Now, let me bring you into our main segment with a quote that is applicable to today's topic. This quote is from William Pollard. Without change, there is no innovation, creativity, or incentive for improvement. Those who initiate change will have a better opportunity to manage the change that is inevitable. Now let's transition to the main segment of today's show. Now it's time to jump right into the main segment of our episode. Today I'm talking with Charles Muse, and we'll be covering a whole range of topics together. Charles, I'm excited to have you here. Welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, Charles, you're an accomplished and energetic engineer, and you really show a, a passion for innovation and the development of people in your work. So can you tell us more about this passion, how it started, and what it is that made you decide to get into engineering and design work in the first place? This part kind of dates way back uh, to my time in, in high school. I won't go too far back, but high school was really a pivotal moment for me where I really kind of started to take my academia a little bit more seriously. I uh, started to understand that in my STEM classes, I was a little bit more adept. I caught on a little bit quicker. And then I ended up going to an aviation camp where they kind of go through all the Wright brothers and just the study of flight, what it means. And then they take you up on like a little introductory flight in the Cessna 172. And ever since then, I was just fascinated with flight. 
just naturally had that and kind of running a concurrent play like any 16 year old like i was amazed with cars right like i got my first car when i was 16 and i took it apart i broke it i put it back together so there's these two huge forces in my life that are directly tied to stem at the time i didn't fully know it which my fascination with flight and fascination with cars i remember i started to take uh flying lessons so i would go to a local airport and start to take flying lessons when I was in high school. And uh, it was just one of those cool things that I, I just couldn't believe that I could do that. So I started to, you know, again, fall deeper in love with flying while concurrently working on my car and falling deeper in love with that. So when it came time for college, I wanted to go through a piloting program and become a pilot. But from a financial standpoint, it, it wasn't necessarily lucrative for me. For my scholarship was purely academic and it only covered your studies. It didn't cover fuel and all the other charges. So for me, I said, what's the next best thing? I said, so I looked at it and aeronautical and astronautical engineering made the most sense because it was the study of flight and how those things kind of worked. So going through the different motions in college and then lo and behold, I went to a career fair and General Motors was there and I kind of talked to a rep and I ended up choosing General Motors for an internship just because I was in, inherently a gearhead, right? I inherently loved cars. They were going to let me test fly planes at Boeing or or any of the other major aerospace industries. I just thought that like, hey, when they gave me the job description for an intern at the Proving Grounds, I'm driving cars and doing a lot of cool things from a chassis perspective. And that's what really brought everything uh, together. And, you know, although it wasn't aeronautical, astronautical engineering, I was still doing something that I love. And then when I got my full-time offer at, at the end, I ended up getting a full-time offer in the aerodynamics group at General Motors as an aeronautics for for crossover vehicles. So really kind of married my two passions with flight, aerodynamics, the study of, you know, aeronautical and astronautical engineering, while also marrying that with my love for the automotive industry and for cars in general. And as lead aerodynamicist, where you're working on the different aerodynamics within the wind tunnel, running CFD analysis, redesigning the car, I became even more fascinated with how complex it is to build a car, right? You know, all the panels and things that I was designing, someone had to release, it had to be manufacturable, and there was all these other playmakers Every little change that I made to make the car better from an aerodynamic perspective had to go through a certain chain of command. So I, again, became fascinated with the idea of how complex it was to build a car. So from that moment forward, I dedicated my career to being able to navigate the company and understand how exactly do we build these cars and how could I most effectively become a jack of all trade and kind of be able to go into each group and become proficient so I can understand from cradle to grave, bumper to bumper, how we build cars and, and how they work. So that kind of led me to where I am now. You've had quite a story and certainly grown in your technical prowess and leadership in the aerodynamic space over the years. And so can you tell us a little bit more about aerodynamics and that function and the purpose of it? And what are some of your thoughts on how when we get into transportation, how that could really help to lead to a future world where we might be able to get down to zero emissions? Aerodynamics is a huge portion and just for, you know, uh, some level setting in layman's terms. It's just the study of the pressure of a fluid over a car, right? So it, analogous to vehicles, you know, everyone I think has been driving down the highway, roll down their window, and they stick their hand out the window. And as you keep your, you know, palm kind of face down parallel to ground, everything's kind of smooth and what we call laminar. And then as you start to tilt that hand up, it becomes a little bit, reduces a little bit more drag, a little bit more turbulent, and you start to feel that pressure. So nonetheless, if you're feeling that pressure on your hand, the car is feeling that. So it's about redesigning that car 
to purpose, you use that force as a purpose, right? So there's two different ways you can do that, right? You could focus more on drag reduction, which is more of like energy efficiency because the less pressure on the car, the less energy you have to expel to propel that car down the road, which is always awesome, especially for our crossover SUVs, our pickup trucks, things of that nature. You want to have the least amount of drag as possible. For a performance car, you want to reduce overall drag to a degree, but there are areas of the car you want to increase. So if you want to put that power to ground, you want that rear spoiler to be able to push that rear end down as you're going faster so that you can translate that power from the engine ultimately to the ground, as well as cornering, right? You don't want to lose that front end when you're cornering. So you have to be able to design the car from an aerodynamic perspective to take advantage of those forces that are present. So aerodynamics has a wide array of utilizations across our vehicles. As far as our champions is zero, 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 right? No matter what's propelling the car, as we move towards an all, all electric future, it's still going to see the forces of aerodynamics. So we weren't talking performance cars running on uh, electric power. We're talking about, you know, shared ride vehicles running on electric power, trucks, so on and so forth. Aerodynamics is going to be key to ensure that we're getting all the performance, whether it be from a zero to 60 standpoint, overall uh, range standpoint, there's going to be very, very key to ensure that your aerodynamics targets are balanced within whatever segment vehicle that you have because at the end of the day it's still going to take a form of energy to propel that so we'll be able to use utilize that heavily to achieve our mission of zero 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 getting into this and in, in one of your specific projects i understand that you were the engineering operations supervisor when gm was making their off-site wind tunnel test facility so can you tell us more about this project and how it was really beneficial and kind of opened your eyes in your career we have a full-scale as well as a reduced-scale wind tunnel where we do all of our aerodynamics and aeroacoustic testing uh, up here in the metro Detroit area. Our reduced-scale wind tunnel had a rolling road, meaning the wheels spin while the air kind of blows over it. But our full-scale wind tunnel was a little bit older. It didn't have that rolling road. So naturally, we wanted to mimic this to, so that we can have a little bit more continuity across our testing strategy. So we wanted to update the full-scale wind tunnel to accommodate this rolling road. That's a, probably about a two-year process. And during that time, we still have programs that are our government requirements, CO2 requirements were still coming faster than ever with a lot more stringent requirements. So we still needed to test. Um, so part of what I was tapped on the shoulder to do was we struck a deal with Lockheed Martin. Uh, they have a low speed wind tunnel down on Dobbins Air Force Base in Atlanta, Georgia. And, you know, struck the deal where we upgraded their wind tunnel to be able to test for not only aerodynamics, but also aeroacoustics by putting the different paneling and, and so on and so forth. And during that partnership, we were able to kind of find a harmonic balance where we could update their wind tunnel, give them a little bit more equity in being able to charge a higher rate down the line, uh, while also, you know, saying, hey, well, once we upgrade this tunnel, can we get a certain amount of time of dedicated usage and a discounted rate? So it was a win on both parties. So what I did was I supervised the construction project, upgrading the wind tunnel, made a lot of trips down there. I hired a team because inevitably once we had all the upgrades done, we had to move down to Atlanta. So I hired a team of engineers, technicians, and clay modelers, both in the Atlanta area and in the Metro Detroit area. I got them all trained uh, as to our operations, how we operate. And then I relocated down there with my team. And then I wrote, you know, did all the framework, the infrastructure of shipping the cars to and from, uh, writing the different macros to pull all the data from the Lockheed systems into our systems, and then being able uh, to supervise the day-to-day -day activities with shifts and the different issues and things that will come up. And it was particularly fun because I was still an aerodynamicist at the time, so I could still test my programs, uh, get my vehicle shipped down there and test. But in the event that other engineers, aero engineers, could not make it down to the wind tunnel to test for whatever reason, they couldn't get on the plane, I was that resource there to be able to test and provide a little bit of provision and oversight down there. So 
during that entire period, I learned a lot more about, uh, you know, aerodynamics is my bread and butter because I was, you know, typically in my technical tube kind of grinding. But now I had people that I was responsible for. I had projects. I had more deadlines. I had operations experience. So again, that team environment, doesn't matter what we were working on. I had to learn how to become a leader and be able to get things done and solve issues and make sure that my people were empowered uh, with the necessary equipment. So that was a huge stepping stone in my career to open my eyes up to just the overall team environment. And it was just great that it was able to land in the realm of aerodynamics. What a cool project to be able to work with multiple teams internally and externally in your partnership with Lockheed Martin and be able to manage different types of work that you were able to expand in your own understanding and experience there. What a cool project. Now, Charles, I understand that you lead a couple different revolutionary technologies that GM's working on that are really needed to execute validation and service of getting to fully autonomous vehicles. And you get to manage a, a large budget and some pretty complex deliverables. So can you tell us about your role in working on designing this next generation of fully electric and autonomous vehicles? And what does that mean for GM as a company and maybe bigger us as a society as we move in, in transforming transportation? It's a very exciting uh, project and a very exciting space to be in, in general. The autonomous vehicle space is not one your traditional OEM has a process or protocol for, right? You're blazing the trail, you're figuring out things as you go. We're in the core of innovation. So the two things that you know, I wear a couple of different hats. One is the traditional you know, program engineering manager hat where I'm removing roadblocks and making sure people are uh, talking and then getting with engineers on their changes and making sure that we can you know remove any roadblocks and then push the program forward. But the other hat that I wear is, are those two technologies that you mentioned. So you sound really excited about this project, Charles. And so I'm curious, what's like the best part of being a part of this project? And how do you think it'll help GM reach their zero, zero, zero initiative, the zero crashes, zero emissions and zero congestion? I'm extremely excited just to be a part of the team. I think the most exciting part is that you have a team full of open-minded, can-do attitude people that are marching towards the innovation and the revolution of how we can move people. It doesn't really matter all the time what you're working on, but the group of people that you work on it with is truly what's going to foster that camaraderie that'll allow you to innovate. So I think the best part of the job is not necessarily what we're working on, but who we're working on and what our ultimate goal is. And our goal, again, is as an organization is zero, zero, zero. And the cruise origin, the, the vehicle, the fully autonomous vehicle in which we work on is the epitome of that. You know, zero crashes, fully autonomous car can react and have different judgment calls that a human just can't significantly reducing the amount of crashes we would have a, a year by removing that human error. Zero emissions, it's a cruise origin is on our electric platform. It's, it's fully electric. So we're reducing our CO2, our carbon footprint, we're, we're doing all the necessary things and zero congestion. Uh, it's just a, a, another example that is in the autonomous realm is you're going to have a vehicle that will go the speed limit. You know, you're not going to have a, more crashes. It's going to calculate the best, most efficient route to get to where it needs to, to get to safely, further reducing that congestion. So I think the best part about it is the group of folks that understand that that's what our goal is. And then as we start to develop this car and as, as we're, we're given the authority to break the process where it's needed and reinvent it as we're on the cusp of, of revolutionizing the way people move, I think is the best part. And it's just also cool that we all understand what the end goal is and are committed to it. I want to step back from this just a little bit and talk about engineers and STEM professionals in general here for a second, Charles. So in your opinion, why do you think that engineers play such a vital role as we look at some of these goals 
such as keeping our roads safe. From an engineering standpoint, every time you open your eyes, you see engineering, right? No matter what it is that you do, uh, whatever technology you use, what utensils you use in your house, anything that you pretty much touch was engineered. So when you start talking about making society a better place, you have to really start with the engineering because engineers are inherent problem solvers and critical thinkers. And what we do is we take problems that arise in society and that could be, you know, crashes, congestion and emissions. And we take it back to the drawing board and say, okay, what does that look like from an equation standpoint, from a physics standpoint? What can we deploy and what can we objectively evaluate to make this world a better place? on the cusp of, of being able to revolutionize society, engineers are going to be at the forefront because we're able to take that data and make something that serves our fellow man. So no matter what you do, you open your eyes, you see that engineering, there's an engineer behind it. And I think we all have a passion to solve problems. And I don't think problems are going away at any point in time in this world. So as long as you have engineers on the world, you know you're gonna have problems, but you also know you're gonna have a, an army of people trying to resolve those issues. As we think about engineers in general, obviously, as engineers ourselves and leaders in the industry, it's important that we have this focus on mentorship and kind of bringing the next generation of engineers along. So I'm curious, Charles, for you and the work that you do and your role as a leader now, how do you work to inspire the next generation of engineers and really help to also empower more diverse voices in STEM fields? I have a personal commitment to ensure that the next generation is is equipped to excel, especially within the STEM field, kind of being a little bit selfish in that regard because I am an engineer, but I'm involved in several different mentorship programs. Jack and Jill, we have Urban Youth Racing School out in Philadelphia. We have the Discover the Unexpected, uh, which takes a lot of different journalism majors and gives them scholarships, but there's a lot of different mentorship and programming behind that. I'm a mentor for Ohio State's mechanical and aerospace engineering department, just really helping the students, you know, the different voices of the students, help them get through not only their coursework, but how to teach them uh, the weather, the storms, both professionally, personally, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and help them really give them the tools that I may not have had. Because the ultimate goal I think that we all should have is being able to have the next generation start where we end it. I want the next generation to begin at my ceiling to say that, hey, we got to as high as we can go and we brought you along the way so that you're never starting over, so that we're always building on society and we're not necessarily completely wiping the drawing board. So it's very, very critical that we do that. And especially uh, me becoming from uh, an urban environment, being an African-American man, I didn't have much representation at all really to look forward to, right? You know, I had many sports figures and things of that nature to look up to. I don't know who my favorite aerodynamicist was when I was 16. I didn't even know what it was. I have a personal stake in making sure that not only just the next generation and, and youth can look to me and be inspired, but even more of a personal stake in that I want folks that look like me to be able to see me and understand that they can get to this area too, right? Because that's just the personal sentiment of, of my culture. And it's about building not only the world, but I think being able to build up your culture. If everyone has that, that mentality, we have this melting pot of just diverse talent, diverse ideals, a, a diverse perceptions. And that's probably the most resilient thing you could build in any team is to have those diverse backgrounds and diverse inputs and establishing rapport with everyone's. I make it very personal to go out of my way to coach the youth, to bring the youth up and to impose the STEM field because a lot of the youth don't even understand what STEM is. They understand that they love video games. They love 
cars, they love planes, they love these things, but they might not know that it's directly tied to STEM. So you have to help them be able to spark and find that passion and then coach them along. So again, that when I hit my ceiling, they're right there to kind of take the torch and, and revolutionize society is just a personal uh, goal of mine. And, and it, it's very deep within my heart and soul to make sure that the next generation is equipped to be great. I was looking up a little bit more about you and I saw that you were recently recognized at the Black Engineer of the Year Awards conference with an award. Can you tell us about that and kind of what that means for you? So I was recognized uh, for the Black Engineer of the Year Award for the most promising engineer. So it was uh, so extremely humbled and blessed to have even been nominated, right? The nomination process was a deep one. You know, it's like 35 pages, 40 pages of submissions on just what does Charles Muse represent? What's my brand? What am I involved in? What are my accomplishments, both personally and professionally? And to have that stacked against all the other engineers from all other industries and, and companies across the nation and to be named the most promising is just beyond humbling, right? Because the 16-year-old Charles would have never told you that that was in my card. So the award itself represents for me the hope and the redemption that comes in. It doesn't matter necessarily where you start. It doesn't matter uh, what your background is. When you start to deep root in your passions and follow those things, everything else becomes so much easier, right? You just, you, when you're able to work on something that you love every day and you can speak to passionately every day, there's so many other things that it could unlock beyond your wildest dreams and just kind of being a kid from the South side of Chicago that only really wanted to be involved in sports, you know, at, at one point in time and to, to stand here as the most promising engineer of the year working on autonomous vehicles in the engineering industry is just, again, mind blowing for me. So that award for me just represents that hope. It represents that passion and the hard work and just really knowing that your steps are ordered and doesn't matter again where you start, it's how you finish. Uh, and I'm just incredibly humbled just to receive the recognition. Charles, as we kind of finish up this segment, what advice can you give to this future generations of engineers and fellow STEM workers like you? Universally, uh, the best advice or, or series of advice that I could give is make sure that you're following your passions, as I've kind of mentioned, and it's become a running theme of my life, is that you need to make sure that whatever it is that you're doing, you actually love to do. For me, it was planes and cars, and that led me to what I'm doing today. And even though you know your passions may not mix well, you may love chemical engineering as well as mechanical engineering. You may have different interests in, in a lot of different things that span the STEM field, but don't write it off because there isn't a logical path to that end goal, right? For me, I didn't have that logical path. I was interning for General Motors doing a bunch of mechanical and performance type work, but I was studying aeronautical and astronautical engineering while taking flying lessons. Like none of it really came together until they said, yep, we're going to put you in our aerodynamics group and automotive. So for me, that was just really, really a godsend. So the first thing I could really tell people is follow your passions because it's going to make life a lot easier to navigate. Everything else will fall into play. The money will come. The opportunities will come. If you're passionate about something, you're going to give 110% and you're going to go to bed every night with like a satisfaction in your heart that you're doing what you love and you're not just doing something to turn a crank or fit someone else's bill or fit some predetermined template of what a professional career should be because professional and personal should harmonize in one, right? There shouldn't be a work-life balance. It should be, how can I harmonize the two? Because inevitably you're going to have to do that. Start with doing something that you love. The other is be very comfortable being uncomfortable, right? Because I've noticed that in the biggest challenges in my career and in just in life in general came, it presented a lot of discomfort for me. But on the other side of that discomfort was an extreme amount of growth. You want to look up, you know, if I could relate it to fitness, right? Like you don't get to be able to run 
two miles without having first run one mile. But getting past that one mile may suck. You may be gruesome. Your legs are going to hurt. But you realize that through that pain, you've reestablished a threshold, a tolerance for that. You're going to have different opportunities that come up. It may not make sense to you. It may be very, very challenging. But the biggest thing I could say is learn how to live in that discomfort and be okay with that discomfort because on the other side is going to be growth. It's going to be opportunity. It's going to be a lot of things that come from it. The last thing I could really say is learn how to, and I don't say this in a negative way, is learn how to break yourself, right? Learn how to, within that discomfort, push your discomfort to a point where you're broken. And I think we've all, as humans, you know, I'll be one to admit it, we've all come to a point where we felt broken. We felt completely defeated, whether it be mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, you've gotten to those points. But the good thing about that is if you're able to recognize that you're broken, you have just found your limit. And now you can chase something even greater, right? And again, as an engineer, that's what we do. We live to break things because we're going to say, okay, we just broke it. Now I'm going to fix it. We're never going to fail at that point ever again because I know what it feels like to be there and I know how to correct it. So again, follow your passions, learn how to be comfortable being uncomfortable and learn how to break yourself. And within those moments of breaking yourself, dying to that portion of you that was fearful or stubborn or whatever that caused you to break and re being reborn a stronger version of yourself. That's the constant battle that we have in life. So that's, those are the three biggest things I could tell anyone, you know, if I had to give any advice. That's a segment that's probably worth listening to again for anyone who's listening to us right now, because that was well said, Charles. Thanks so much. And I'm feeling better and motivated as I move forward for sure after that. So at this point, we're going to transition into the Take Action Today segment of the show, where we'll get one final takeaway from Charles that we can take from this episode. Now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show. We've been here with Charles Muse, and he's going to give us one final takeaway for how all of us can take action on following our passion. At the end of the day, what everything boils down to is, is that you are the driver of your own life, right? You need to be able to be comfortable with what you're doing every day. And life is way too short to think that you have enough time. So follow your passions and whatever it is that you do. Pursue everything that makes you happy on a daily basis and be able to schedule your priorities as opposed to prioritizing your schedule. When you're able to take control of your life in that manner and do the things that you love every day and put a smile on your face, you'll end up in so much better places in life. And when you or 80, 90, 100 years old, you can look back at a life of adventure, a life of challenge, and a life of impacting others through your passion. Ultimately, that should be your goal, is to be passionate about what you do and find a way to impact the lives of everyone else through the passions that you have. Thanks again so much, Charles. I've really enjoyed this episode and learned a lot from you. As we leave today, what are some places that people can go if they want to connect with you or connect with some of the organizations or initiatives that you're involved in? You can find me on LinkedIn. So that's definitely one way to connect with me. I'm, I'm usually pretty responsive on LinkedIn. We have our General Motors website. If anyone's interested in careers, we're in a hiring surge right now. So feel free to visit our careers website, you know, or just our general website to understand that what we're doing. Uh, there's you know, definitely a, a multitude of avenues where we, where we have different programs that we do to you know, reach out to uh, professionals as well as the youth. So that, that I think between those two sites, you can find a lot of different ways to connect with us. Thanks for all those resources. It's been a pleasure, Charles, and look forward to seeing more great uh, things out of you and, and General Motors and, and some of the initiatives you're a part of. Thanks so much. Likewise. Thank you so much. 
I hope you enjoyed our episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and questions. Please go to www.engineeringmanagementinstitute.org where you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. And don't forget to check out our upcoming live webinar for this month at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Additionally, for those engineers who are struggling with unemployment or uncertain about how to make a career transition, I've created some free training resources with an opportunity to join a more intensive program called the Engineering Career Accelerator. You can find more information at engineeringcareeraccelerator.com. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering endeavors. The strategies that you heard in this episode will be of no use to you unless you take action and start to implement them in your career immediately. To help you do that, we have designed a system that you can use at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. It combines live monthly webinars with PDHs, plus a private forum giving you access to coaches and premium content focused on helping you build your management and leadership skills. Join us for our next live webinar at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org and will help you engineer your own success.